Hey, what's up? This is Josh from Goldroom, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents from Hollywood, California, the devil's music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you the devil's music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaiman, and welcome to the devil's music, a Pantheon podcast. Find out more about me at pleasantgaiman.com. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon podcast network of rock and roll shows. Find them all at pantheonpodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend. Today, we are interviewing Madame Pamita. She's a famous witch. She's actually a famous rock and roll witch because she's been around in punk rock and rock and roll since the early 80s. Doing, doing bands. She had a, an amazing surf band called the Neptunos, which is resurfacing, pun intended, again this year. Um, she's always been really involved in the musical community. She plays ukulele. She's also like a hoodoo, conjure, spellcasting, tarot reading, ukulele playing, all around which she, she's actually one of my real life idols. And, um, We've known each other for a long time and only become closer through all sorts of witchcraft and magical shit. So, without further ado, please bow down to Madame Pamita. Many sights to see And when I look in my window So many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch mm-hmm. Must be the season of the witch Must be Hi. Hi, I love that. I think you're going to be my um, pitch man, pitch woman from now on. I love that introduction. <laughs> we can go and sell snake oil together. We should get like an old, uh, an old. <laughs> we Do you can know have the full on gypsies, tramps, and thieves lifestyle. What, what are we waiting for? <laughs> exactly. You know, that's how I got started doing tarot publicly was because I had an old time medicine show called Madame Pamita's Parlor of Wonders. And I would do, um, I'd have cards that people would come up and pick a card. And then I would tell a little mini funny fortune. And then we would do an old time 
hokum, you know, early 20s jazz song that, you know, that went along with that card. And then um, we would play. And afterwards, people would say, hey, will you do a reading for me? I had never done reading publicly, only for my friends, only for myself. Wait, like so what start, year was this around? What year? This would have been 2000, probably 2008, 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Um, so that's when I got started reading. I mean, I had been reading for years and years, decades, you know, but at that point, that's when I got started reading professionally was through my old time medicine show. And I was totally, I used to sell, I used to sell little bottles, mini glass bottles of booze, you know, like the airplane bottles. I would put new labels on them and call them the elixir of creativity or the elixir of love. And I would sell them at the shows. <laughs> I, was, I was really into it. <laughs> So yeah, I did it. So I've already done that. We can do, revive that again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so great to be here with you. <laughs> Likewise. Um, so like, I know that there, there's starting to be pretty many of us that are um, uh, of, uh, of witchy people that, that were former or still going on like punks and rock and roll people. Um, and, and it seems like, it's starting to seem, seem to me that like this is a natural progression. You go from an insane rock and roll lifestyle that was blended over with some kind of magic thing, just going into being full witch. <laughs> what the fuck do you think that's about? Well, I think, you know, I look at, you know, it's very funny when I talk about, when I teach magic and I teach, um, you know, witchcraft to people, spell casting, you know, I, that's one of my things I'm passionate yeah. about is teaching. Um, people come to me and they go, well, can I do this? Or can I do that? Can I do a, a come to me spell? Isn't that coercive magic? And I go, this is not the Catholic church. Nobody can say to you, you can't do this or you can't do that. And all of that stuff of like, you, you know, coercive magic is bad or doing this certain magic is bad. I don't buy that whole hierarchy of someone from on high telling you, you can't do a certain kind of magic. You as a witch have your personal ethics. That's the whole damn point of being a witch is that you don't have a boss telling you what to do. So if you believe in the rule of three and you, you don't, you know, what goes around comes around, great, then, then abide by that because you choose to abide by that. Not because some Pope or somebody else tells you, some witch pope tells you that you can't do that. So it's yeah. very interesting because I see that correspondence in like punk rock because punk rock was the same thing, which was nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can tell you you're not good enough to be in a band. You're not um, a good enough guitar player or you're not, you can't be in a band because you're a girl or you can't be in a band because of this. That's what punk rock opened up which was anybody can do a band. You don't have to be a certain gender, a certain race, a certain size, a certain anything, to, or even adept at an instrument to be able to start a band. And that's that, that punk rock DIY ethic I always bring to everything that I do anyway, which is you get to decide for you. That's the whole point of being a witch. If you don't, if that's, you don't want that. If you want someone to give you rules, there's plenty of religions out there that you can belong to that will tell you what you can and can't do, you know? That's exactly, that's exactly the way, that's exactly the way that I see it, for real. I mean, it's, it seems like it makes complete sense to me. Like, sometimes when people, if people look at my life, or maybe probably yours, 
too. Like that, they can't figure out the connections between any of that stuff. And it, it seems like it's so um, obvious to me, you know? And also I think um, from like us, us growing up in, in like the seventies and the sixties, or I think you're younger than me. I'm not sure. 64. <laughs> I was born in 64. Oh, you're older than me. Woo. I'm 61. <laughs> I was born in 64. I'm not 64. I was born in Oh, so you are younger than me then. I'm oh, sorry. I was just hearing what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, like when I, when I, um, when I was like 12, I was like, I was babysitting and raking leaves and just doing all sorts of chores so I could get two things. And one was a book called Potions and Spells of Witchcraft, which I've looked for it on eBay and stuff. And I remember it somewhere along the years, probably like in the 80s, it got lost. It, it actually might not be lost. It might be like how my original tarot decks that I also ordered from that babysitting venture, um, I thought they were lost too. And like I couldn't find tarot cards for a while and I'd had them well into adulthood and I had a lot of ducks and then I sort of let it go for a while. Anyway, so all my cards came back to me when I decided to get back into it in crazy ass ways. Like, like I, like I was finally like, God damn it, I got to get some tarot cards. And I ordered them um, on Amazon. Like the first deck had been mail order. And then as soon as I did that, I was like, well, I got to go back to real life now and went to look for some insurance papers and really, what the fuck was my very first package of tarot cards doing under my auto insurance papers? And I hadn't seen them in, I mean, so anyway, there's all that kind of shit. But so all of that stuff in the seventies, there wasn't really any guidance of anything. So some of the, the ways that I operate in doing anything witchy or woo woo or it's, it's so completely self-taught that it wasn't until like, Decades later, I started really reading and researching and, um, you know, seeing how it was really done because you couldn't just go where I was in a small New England town and go, um, who's going to teach me how to, how to do witchcraft? There was nobody. It was nothing. They, I think that it's a very interesting because the, the, uh, uh, us old timers, <laughs> we remember when that, there was so little information out there that when you came across anything, and I remember being a kid and I would get books about superstitions because, and I'm, this is when I was young, 10, 12 years old, you know, because I could not find anything. But if I found something about superstitions, a superstition was one step away really from a spell. Yeah. So if I found a book about Pennsylvania Dutch hex magic, I was like, yeah, oh my God. That's my dad's side, all that. Yeah. So that, that you'd find something that was like, oh, look at this cute little folklore thing. Oh, isn't this cute and quaint and old timey? And I'd be like, oh my God, it's magic. But my first magic book I found, because I grew up in Santa Monica and still am in Santa Monica, um, was at Lincoln Junior High School. Oh, the yeah. school library had... Sybil Leake's Diary of a Witch. Wow. <laughs> so some freaky hippie librarian at the middle, at the junior high school, wasn't even, it wasn't middle school back then, it was a junior high school, um, had that book in there. And I checked that book out and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to wash my hair with urine. 
because that's what witches do. That's the only thing I remember for that book. But did you did you did you keep it? Did you steal it, or did you bring it back? You're a bad girl. I was a good girl. I was such a good girl. Oh my god, I would never steal a book from the library. Not until I was in high school. And then when I was in high school. I would go into the Santa Monica Public Library. Okay, I'm not committing. I think the statute of limitations has passed. I would go into the Santa Monica Public Library and go into the back. You know, back then, if you wanted to see an old magazine, you would go to the reference librarian and they would bring you the big book of the bound magazines. And I would go in there and I would cut out the pictures of David Bowie that were in, you know, whatever Rolling Stone or whatever they had at the Santa Monica. I would take the pictures of David Bowie. (laughs) So. Oh, of course. No, that, that makes was my sense theft. <laughs> that was my library theft, was cutting out pictures of David Bowie, because I loved him more than anyone else, and no one would love him as much as I did. Except so I for me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We're going fight to over, fight over David Bowie. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, that, like um, when I was 15 and I discovered Bowie, and I was like, oh my God, I used to play Ziggy Stardust over and over again and think, he would understand me. We would be amazing friends. We would be. That's exactly what I thought. And, and But I mean, I thought that with a lot of rock and roll people and you probably did too. And I think that's what separates us from people that were just fans because I just went into all of it. Even when I was like 11 or 12, like, oh, we'd be best friends. And it wasn't delusional. It wound up in our lives not to be delusional. Oh my gosh. I can remember being 11 and having cheap tricks in color and uh, and thinking, Robin Sanders only 11 years older than me or 13 years older than me. I was, no, I was 13, sorry, I was 13 when that came out. So he's only 11 years older than me. We could go out. How creepy is that? And we were just, <laughs> I was very innocent. <laughs> we could go out. We could go out. I could give him a blood job on the back, the back alley behind the whiskey. <laughs> no. No, I was not Yeah. <laughs> My idea of 13 year old going out was like holding hands. You know what I mean? I was very innocent. <laughs> I was an innocent 13 year old. Oh my gosh. No way. I didn't want to see a penis. I didn't want to see a penis. That's why I like boys that look like girls. I didn't want to see a penis. Oh yeah. I but, like boys that look like girls too, but I think they needed to be fully functional and masculine. <laughs> <laughs> when I was 13, I wasn't there yet. But anyway, so yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was my, so anyway, back to, to Sibylique, that was my introduction to, real introduction to witchcraft. Before that, I was looking at superstitions, and I was always looking for anything I could find, but there was nothing, going back to the were there was nothing out there. So when I got my, my first tarot deck, my mom bought for me. We were in Salem, Massachusetts. We were on a day trip after visiting my sister in Boston. My sister's 13 years older than me. So we were in Boston visiting my sister and then we went for a day trip to Salem. And my mom, we went into probably Lori Cabot's store because how many witch stores were there in 1974? I was 10 years old. Um, And my mom bought me my first tarot deck. So my mom was very, very magical. She would do magical things all the time. And my grandmother was magical, her mother, but she had already, she died long before I was born. But, um, so my Ukrainian grandmother, my mom would tell me these stories about my Ukrainian grandmother doing things like she would hold a bowl of water over someone's head and pour wax into it. And she was doing a healing and also like a fortune telling for the person. And so I, I kind of grew up in a magical household, but for my mom, it wasn't really so much practicing magic. There was a little bit of that. I mean, she would tell me things like, 
take it. I brought you home a piece of wedding cake from this wedding. If you put it under your pillow, you'll dream about your future husband. You know, she would do things like that. They were very it's total magic, but yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's very Ukrainian magic too. And so she would tell me stories about my grandmother and do little things, but it wasn't like, you know, I grew up in the bewitched household where she was full on. I'm a witch and I'm doing magic. It just, for her magic was part of her it's just like, I think it is for most Ukrainians. It's like magic is a part of your life. It doesn't, it doesn't disagree with your Catholicism or it doesn't disagree with whatever religion you have. You can still do magic and do this. So then like, you know, I hear stories from people like my parents took my tarot cards and burned them. But my mom was like, magic is okay. Cause you can do magic alongside your religion whatever your religious practices yeah. exactly exactly you know that my 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 grandma um or my great grandma actually great grandma rose on on my mom's side as ukrainian and whenever i see your posts on instagram we'll give you all of madame pamita's socials at the end of this episode um i need to talk to you about that this might be too far of a rabbit hole to go down for this but um my grandma rose i, I always heard stories about her and how she read tea leaves and how she did all this other stuff. And then, um, you know, I've always seen 1111. You, you know that about me. And, you know, I mean, millions of people in the world do, but I've been seeing it so much that in 1990, I saved a bus transfer because it said 1111 on it. And that was like the first thing I Googled on a computer. It wasn't until I was over 50 fucking years old that I found out that Grandma Rose was born on November 11th, which like just blew my fucking mind. Whoa. I Whoa. know. That's amazing. Anyway, so yeah, there was always all sorts of like crazy folk magic or, um, old, you know, like old folk remedies and, and wives tales and stuff like that going on with both my grandmas because my other grandma, Nellie, and Nellie was the Pennsylvania Dutch one. And then um, Grandma Pauline was Grandma Rose's uh, daughter. So they were, uh, aside from um, my Grandma Pauline, looking like a, a four foot 11, like 60 something year old harlot with like fire engine red lipstick and red nails and flirting like shamelessly with the milkman while she was wearing like a rhinestone pin that was as big as a headlight, but like little canvas house slippers with holes cut out for her bunions. <laughs> she, she was fucking crazy. Like the, that my, my, um, the women on both sides of my family, especially the grandmas were, were like totally like, I just still want to be with them. And now, and now I'm turning into one of them. I'm totally, well, there's a whole thing in Ukrainian magic about, um, you know, when you're a healer, you really can't be a Vidma or a, a well, a ba they call them Babas or Babas. Yeah, Baba. yeah, 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 yeah. That when you are an elder, when you go past menopause, that's when you really have your power to do your healing. That's when you're able, that's when you're the wise woman. So all of that is kind of the runway leading up to that. It's not to say that you're magic when you're, you know, uh, younger than menopause is going to be, you know, you're just doing different kind of magic. And I found that for myself, my practice, oh my gosh, I'm going into so many amazing areas. Um, 
Now I'm fascinated, the thing that I'm most lately studying and fascinated with is Ukrainian shamanism, like the shaman, shamanic practice, Slavic shamanic practices. So interesting. So we have, we have to talk about all of this because this is yeah. crazy. All the, all the Transcarpathian stuff and all the like, yeah, yeah. Like, um, but I think, um, yeah, for all of that. Oh, also, I need to make a shirt. I'm going to make one. It says hashtag crone life. <laughs> Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I'm I'm so into it because there's like there's something that opens up for you where you can just it's almost like your powers open up or something. I don't know what it is, but man, it's awesome. Do you so, feel like like that lots that that a lot of more powerful magical stuff has been ha happening during pandemic because I I am like just blown away at all the synchronicities that I could go on Instagram at any hour. Of, of after midnight and there's always people saying I'm seeing like you know my dead uncle or, or I, I mean not on the posts but coming to me in dms is that kind of stuff happening to you um or I I I have not actually I've been spending less time on social media I've been doing a little bit I've been doing more um I don't know I've just been doing more internal deep personal work and working on my business, you know what I mean? So I don't, I yeah. haven't been on social as much, you know what I mean? But I've been doing phenomenal deep personal, like uh, going into spirit realm and doing all kinds of stuff in the spirit world. So shamanic kind of work. I find out, you know, and doing, this is very interesting to me is like, in learning about shamanic practices, I'm learning, oh, 50% of what is happening in a shamanic practice I was already doing but it was a different format. So like, t you know, talking to spirits and talking to your spirit guides, I was already doing that, but now there's a, you know, in shamanic practice, you talk to your helping spirits. Oh, okay. Well, that's the same thing I've already been doing, but it's a different format for doing it. So it's very interesting because I've already been doing sort of a thing and I'm just leaping over onto the other path and going like, Oh, a lot of what I already do, it's under this header, but now I'm learning more and learning some other nooks and crannies, you know, with it. So. Yeah. That is so cool. Do you want to go to, like, quote, quote, when all this is over, <laughs> do you want to go to Eastern Europe? I'm. That's probably going to be, like, the first place that I go. That was my um, fall trip for this year, which isn't happening, obviously. Oh, really? For real? Yeah, I was going to go to Ukraine and um, go up into the Carpathian Mountains where my um, yeah. my grandmother is from Carpathian, the border of Poland and um Ukraine up in the Carpathian Mountains, sub-Carpathian part yeah, of this is Poland now, but then Galicia. And then my grandfather was more from like central west um, Ukraine. They met in the States, but they were from kind of two different areas. And um, so that was my next trip. And I wanted to, I was going to do all this planning to go see these. There's like amazing museums. There's museums of, of, um, shamanism and things like um, that that I yeah. want to go to. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of cool things. So, yeah, when we <laughs> when we have a chance to travel again, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, maybe maybe we should. I, I had this idea of going to Romania and just getting an interpreter and talking. Have you ever seen all those Romanian fortune tellers on like Twitter or um, I don't know if yeah. they're on Instagram, but like. Those witches, it's like all these like amazing old Romani. Uh, Romani is different than Romanian. I'm just saying that for the yeah. li listeners. Sitting around in like exquisite crowns and like 
you know, furniture that has all, it's like really Baroque and has gold leaf, but it's all covered in plastic and like tiny yappy dogs and like fucking like everything fake Armani wallpaper and shit like that. I am so all about that stuff. That's what we're going to do. Like bringing like Eastern European, like style, like that style. It is, um, it's super interesting. I'm, I'm super fascinated. My, my, my grandmother, I'm trying to find out there's, there's different ethnic groups in the area that my grandmother's from. There's Lemko and there's Boyko. And then if you go a little further into Carpathian mountains, there's Hutzels. If you look up H-U-T-S-U-L, Hutzel, it's was, up in, up in the Carpathian mountains. But because I was looking that up last night. I was looking it up last night. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Okay. There's <laughs> and, your synchronicity right there. And also like, um, people like us, didn't we used to be called Ru- Rutherians instead of Ukrainians? Exactly. The Ruthenians or they're, they're called yeah. the Carpathian Rus. Um, that's totally, yeah. Rusins and another name for it. This is like a, a, a group up in that area, which is um, kind of, it's ca- part of Poland. It's like that Poland Ukraine border area right there. And um, it's super interesting. Um, uh, Andy Warhol was Rus. Oh, of course he was. Cause he was like the biggest like fucking witch ever. Yeah. Yeah. So he was one, I mean, there's all kinds of interesting um People, ethnic groups that we really like. I I think my grandmother didn't really identify as Ukrainian because my mother would say to me, she'd say, "I'm from the Carpathian Mountains," which to me is saying I'm like me saying I'm Californian instead of saying I'm American right. because right. God knows what America's reputation is now. But California's reputation, I'm proud to be Californian. I don't know if I'm necessarily proud to be American with all the bullshit that's going on, um, but. Uh, that I think is why my grandmother was like, I'm, Car- I'm from the Carpathian mountains. I'm from Carpath, you know, the Carpathian region. So there's a, all these different little ethnic groups that are there and the Hutzels, because they're so far up in the mountains, a lot of their old ways that, that land wasn't valuable land. They're really like hand to mouth subsistence living. Right. So this land wasn't, you know, fought over. We didn't have incursions of, um, you know, uh, modernism in there. So there's a lot of old ways that were kept alive, including the Molfars and Molfarkas, which are the, the shamanic witches and wizards up there that still exist. And you can still see them. Now, a lot of them are doing things like fortune telling with playing cards and things like that, which would be a more modern thing. But they also do things like control the weather and um, remove curses and do all kinds of, I think, older, older magic, you know, than, than fortune telling, you know with cards, which is more modern, you know? So yeah, it's very, very cool. We really went on a tangent there. (laughs) I was going to say to the, um, to the listeners, yeah, we're not on a fucking rabbit hole of like (laughs) Ukrainian and Carpathian magic. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so let like just before we start going on about this, let's go on about some rock and roll shit for a minute. Okay, so all through like um that let let's let's hear about your punk rock past in the early eighties onwards. Okay, so um well I first think of that Cheap Trick and David Bowie were like my gateway drugs into punk rock. I mean, because of them, you know, it was like about 1980 <clears throat> that I was 16 
and I started getting 15, 16, and I started getting into um, something that was other than Journey and whatever, you know, Aerosmith or whatever, you know, Led Zeppelin and all that stuff, right? So um, I, I always felt like there, you know, that, that creative urge, you know, like to be different. And I always felt outsider-ish and different and, you know, was a bookworm and kind of, you know, a nerd. And so um, when I discovered, I remember a friend of mine when I was younger, 13 years old, going, the Ramones, they, you know, they're a punk rock band. And I was like, oh, that sounds really scary. <laughs> now I think, oh my God, the Ramones are the least scary thing ever. <laughs> I remember being 13. I was so like, oh my gosh, that sounds, they jump around and they spit on each other. Oh my gosh, that sounds so scary, but very intriguing. You know what I mean? Scary, but what is it all about? Well, when I got in, David Bowie was much more my speed. Oh, he's elegant. He's fabulous. And he's wearing these amazing outfits. And um, then, um, you know, Cheap Trick, they look so cute and they're playing power pop. You know, those are the kinds of things that kind of got me into being a little more adventurous with music. And so um, the first show that I, well, the second, the first show that I went to ever, 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 ever. Well, the very first show I went to was the Beatles when I was six weeks old because my sister was 13 years old and my mm -hmm. mom had to take her to a Beatles show. So she took me to a Beatles show at six weeks old. But <laughs> I said to my sister, I go, what? what was it like? She goes, you didn't really miss anything. It was just all you could hear were girls screaming. screaming. You the band. <laughs> so you didn't miss much. What, but, um, when first, was that that you went? At Red Rocks in Colorado oh in 1964. God. So 1964, August of 1964, I was born in July. And in August of 1964, my, my sister wanted to go see the Beatles. So she was 13. So my mom took her and my mom took me. It was a six week old baby. So I got to go see the Beatles at six weeks old. That's amazing. <laughs> so, but then uh, my first real show that I went to was at Santa Monica Civic. We were so lucky to have Santa Monica Civic. We could walk there practically, take a bus, you know. So I saw um, the tubes at the Santa Monica Civic. Oh, my God. In 1975? No, in 80. This was 80. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. So, I, I, then the next I show I saw. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've used, I mean, you were, you were a wild child seeing shows at 10 years old. You know, I was, I was a little more timid, I guess. Um, but then what I got to go, the next show I went to was the Boomtown Rats and, and the Blasters opened for them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Well, I had known about, I mean, I'd like the Boomtown Rats. So I went intentionally. The tubes, I was kind of like, yeah, it's fine. They got a hit, whatever. But the Boomtown Rats, I really, really liked. And so I went to go see them and the blasters opened and I was like, oh my God, this band's amazing. And that just like blew my mind and opened me up to all of the of acts and all, everything that was happening in the LA scene. So it was like from that point, it was like ground zero and everything opened up. And then I started going to shows all over the, you know, LA and you know, you know, like no one can describe for you. No one that hasn't been there understands how amazing that time was in LA for music, where you would look in the LA weekly for, to see a band to go see what you wanted to see that week. And you would have the horrible dilemma of every single night, there being three or four or five bands that you wanted to go see and you had to make a decision of which show you were gonna go to. That was every single night of the week, 365 days of, year, of the year, we, there were amazing shows going on. I mean, you yeah, remember if you that, cut, right? If you cut those, yeah, of course I remember it. If you cut those ads out and just 
you know, took a picture and posted it on, on any social media, people wouldn't fucking believe it. Like I, I was just talking about that time in 1977 when the Ramones and Blondie were in residence. Blondie was opening for the Ramones um, for like a week at the Whiskey every fucking night, two shows, and the sets were always different each time. And, and I mean, and that was just in that same week, um, like, like my fanzine lobotomy would be having a benefit with X, the germs and the alley cats who were just friends of mine, but are now like famous punk rock people. And then they'd be like, like, um, I saw cheap trick open for ACDC at the whiskey. I mean, I mean, and then the Starwood would have the Dickies. It was, it was insanity in those days. It was so, so, so crazy how much good music there was out there. And it was cheap, $3, $5 free. Yeah. Um, so you know, as a 16 year old, you're kind of limited. You can't go a lot of the places they are 21 and over. I got kicked out of the country club one time for drinking underage. They would let you in there, but I had a beer and they, I got, got totally the bums rush. They picked me up and threw me out that was like <laughs> at, at some show at the country club. So, um, you know, there was, there were, there was limits to what you could do because I was younger and I didn't have a fake ID because it wasn't easy to get a fake ID back then. And so, you know, I'd go to Godzilla's or I'd go to, you know what I mean? Those clubs that were anti Oh my God, that Godzilla's, I forgot. <laughs> I have a great story about going to Godzilla's. Oh boy. Tell it, tell it. This was in the, the valley, big... Godzilla's in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah, it was like some dump that they painted black walls and graffiti all over the walls and they had punk rock shows there and it was out yeah. like in the middle of like a industrial area I kind of remember it yeah. being so I had a I was 17 and I had a boyfriend at that time my very first real boyfriend and we were getting him and his friend and I were going to go see the damned and they're like hey do you want to take mushrooms and I'd never <laughs> taken mushrooms before I'm like okay so I took them and I was driving us to go see the dam. So we're driving to Tulu on the freeway. All of a sudden, Wait, when I was the dam playing? Do you remember? When was it? No, where? At Godzilla's. Oh, that was at Godzilla's too. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I this just... is going to Godzilla's. So, um, so I'm tootling along the freeway, and all of a sudden, the reflectors on the road start blowing across the road like snow. <laughs> I'm like, I can't tell where the lane is because the blinds, <laughs> the snow, the reflectors are blowing across the road like snow. And I go, and so my boyfriend goes, you better pull over and let me drive. He took in mushrooms too. I don't know how, I don't know how we got there and why we are still alive to this day. You know, my, my spirit guides watching over me, but we made it to Godzilla's and we parked in this like dirt lot around it. I remember there's like, you know, some funky dirt lot. We were, got, we were so blasted that we couldn't get out of the car. <laughs> we couldn't make, figure out how to get out of the car and into the club. So we sat in the parking outside the whole night. And then some cops came over and like, what are you doing here? You got to get out of here. So we drove over to some parking lot of some mini mall or something. <laughs> and sat in the car the whole night. So I miss seeing the damn it Godzilla's because. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> frying my brains out so yeah anyway 17 year old <laughs> shenanigans oh my gosh <laughs> but that, i mean like the first time you do any psychedelics you're driving what a terrible terrible idea what a terrible idea 
Oh my God. Good life choices. <laughs> well, you didn't know what they were going to do to you. Exactly. I've never done anything like that before. I'm like, sure, I'll do it. Why not? What else, what's the worst that can happen, right? Oh, okay. So anyway, that was my... The, the, first time, the, first time, the first time I ever took acid, I was with... Um, I was at a boarding school and I was with, uh, and my best friend from my hometown had wound up going there in the second year too. And so I lied to her and told her that I'd taken acid before because everyone was like sort of afraid to try it. And I was like, let's just fucking do this. So um, ours wasn't as bad as driving, but everyone had to have a uh, like a work job and ours was working in the kitchen. And we were basically cleaning these like four foot high pots that they made oatmeal for the entire school. And it was like full on kind of Oliver twist. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but she was cleaning the pots and I was cutting carrots and I started seeing all little like things of the carrots going up in arcs. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, is this, am I high? And then I did it again and it, it started really doing it. And I was like, Hey, are you feeling anything? Into the other room. And she's like, Nope. And I was like, really? Like that. And she's like, no. Um, and then, like a, a few seconds later, I, I heard this huge, insane metallic crashes going on and then hysterical laughter coming from the other side of the kitchen. And I just sort of tiptoed down. By this time, I felt like I was like in Fantasia. I felt like I was how the soundtrack looks in Fantasia. I was just like one line that was kind of like wiggling through space. <laughs> and, and and she was like, she was like standing and then her eyes looked like an Art Crumb cartoon. And it was like, what are you doing? And she said, I went to put the pot on the shelf and the shelf wasn't there. And then we all started laughing so hard we like fell on the floor. And then the next thing we knew, we just threw our aprons away like it was in a movie or something. And then then we spent the rest of the night in the graveyard. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. That's so, <laughs> so crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, I think of these things now like, oh, these are very powerful mind opening things and just to do them recreationally is okay i mean i'm not going to say to anyone don't do it but you have an opportunity not to drive <laughs> exactly don't drive yeah don't uh, don't follow my lead kids but um but you want to take these things i think there's a actually taking these things and um using them in a spiritual way you can actually access amazing 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 insights and connections and things like that you know like anything you can do it recreationally but if you do it with intention i think that that is something that has some i think that's what has created civilization honestly yes well that's i mean that's like like uh, how there's all the ayahuasca ceremonies now that are kind of like trendy ish because i mean those altered states are like really they're really powerful spiritually i mean i remember one time I made an op one time we had opium here and it was me and these two guys that I was in sort of a three-way love triangle with that we were, you know, we were all in it. And um, so I, in order to make, to have opium, one of them got opium that was supposed to be great. So it was my idea and they didn't know I did this. I turned my entire living room into a blanket tent and you have to have to get up these little stairs. So we'd have to crawl up the stairs on our hands and knees and then slither into the tent. And the tent had like Christmas lights, like all around it, like a circus tent. And it, and it, it was pretty fucking amazing. And I started seeing like these crazy visions of palaces, like behind lattice stuff. And it, it, and it was like, 
It's really like in those old like silent movies where you see an opium addict laying there and they're just having, I mean, the, the visions I had were just fucking incredible. And it looked like, it looked a little bit how some of the castles in Game of Thrones, <laughs> that's all I can say, but it was real and it was nothing I'd ever seen in real life. But then, um, you know, on the downside of that, trying to get out of an opium like tent with Christmas lights and long hair and the, you know, and the tent's only like three and a half or four feet high. That was a kind of a problem <laughs> with like live flames, hot, hot, like um, fucking sticky drugs, Christmas lights that were plugged in and a oh tent. My <laughs> but I think of these things, it's like what, what those things do are showing you what your mind is capable of. You know, it's really that case that our mind, they're just like keys unlocking doors that already exist in your mind. So whatever you can access through a psychedelic or through um, ayahuasca or anything else or OPM yeah. or anything else is available to you without those things. If you're able to, to other ways that you can open the door, you know, you can open the door through these other methods, but you can open the door through... Um, I think about reflection, meditation, mind um, awareness, you know, that those things are available to you at all times. The creativity of what you vision, the visions and everything that you get out of those things are available to you, you know? That's all, that's all channeled, I think. I mean, that, I think that in any kind of, like, because you do all sorts of creative things too, which we're going to talk about momentarily. I feel like any kind of stuff I can do in, in art or music or writing, or in, in healing, you know, when I heal people, I, I, I feel like it just comes into me. I feel like I've been an open channel my whole life, you know, because I, I'm not saying this like in a braggy way, but I was born with being able to do all of this. I did all of it so early that it kind of like, I mean, it wasn't developed to the point it was, but it was all there. And I don't know how I got that lucky to be able to do all of that. You well, know? I think you just were the child, the divine child who never shut it down. You know what I mean? You, you had some force of, well, well, you're an old soul, Pleasant. Let's be honest about it. You're an old soul. And old souls are people who have lived many, many lifetimes. And so you don't, when, you, when you've lived many lifetimes, you don't want to screw around with kindergarten anymore. You want to be in, you want to be in the advanced studies, master's degree, doctorate degree, spiritual practice and part of that is creativity channeling is i know exactly what you mean when you say channeled things because it's like the inspiration flows through you and you look at the result this is how you can tell a channeled thing and i think you probably have the same experience when you make something and it's channeled you look at the result and you go oh my god that's amazing yeah you don't look at it almost like you, you look criticize at it as like someone it. No. exactly and yeah 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 like somebody else made it. Like if you look at something that someone else made, you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then you look at something you make. When you make something and you're like, you know, your ego is involved. You're kind of like, eh, there's a mistake over there. That's, it's okay, but you know, it could be better. And the ego gets engaged. But when you channel something, you go, that is amazing. And it's not an ego, I made it, that's amazing. It's as if someone else made it. It's like, how the fuck it. did I make that? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it comes fast and it comes easily, effortlessly. That's that thing that, that muse that they would call a muse or, uh, you know, having that channeled, um, creative creativity. 
I've had yeah, songs I, do that, you know, like I've yeah, me too. I, Lots of songs writing, like I'll just start writing, and then when I'm when I'm um, reading cards for people, I can um, I can tell the difference between what's channeled and what is something I'm considering. Because when I start channeling, and sometimes I'll just switch on like that, it's just like I'm almost talking like an auctioneer. I mean, I'll be like, blah, 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 blah. you know what I mean? Like it's just saying stuff. And some of I had a crazy reading the other day where. Um, this one, it felt channeled, but I was typing it. It was an email reading, you know? So I wrote to her, and this was apropos of nothing in the cards, and they never say like this. It said, if you want to know that, um, that there's spirits around you that are protecting you, um, just look for a penny and, and a feather. And you never say stuff like that. And those are like, I'm, I'm telling this to the listeners, those are like fairly normal, you know, signs of spirit. Um, but there's a lot of them, you know what I mean? So I just picked those two and I have no idea. And I looked at it and I was like, why am I putting this? And I was like, oh, well, and I hit send on the email. Like less than five minutes later, I got an email back. Uh, I haven't looked at your reading yet, but there was a penny and a feather laying on the hood of my car. So dot, dot, dot. <laughs> like, and I was like, what the fuck? I love that. Yeah. It's yeah. also very interesting when you're doing a reading, um, you can tell if you start practicing that connection with your guides or what I call connection with your guides, yeah. you can tell the difference between your voice and their voice because sometimes, yeah. they'll, I, sometimes they'll tell me things and I'll be like, Oh, I really don't want to say that. Yeah. You know, or sometimes they'll say things like that and I'll go, that's weird. You know? And then sometimes they'll say things and I'm like, Oh, that's fine. You know, but there, there's sometimes I'm like, okay, they're telling me this thing. I have to say this thing don't really want to say this thing because it sounds really dorky or it sounds really way out there. Yeah. You know, apropos of nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's fabulous. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So channeled reading, channeled songs, channeled music, <laughs> all of it. Yeah. Channel, channel. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about music channeled or unchanneled. Um, so you were in, a band called the Neptunas for ages, and now you've got a new record coming out. Let's talk about, we can talk about all the new Neptunas. Also, um, you're in a, speaking of Cheap Trick, which we, you're channeling them into, <laughs> into an all-girl band called Cheap Chick. Yeah. That's been going on for a little while. Is Cheap Chick like recording or doing anything or not yet? Well, we can't do anything. We just had a show in December, right before a pandemic. Right. So that that put a. We were going to do a bunch of shows this year. That got, of course, the kibosh put on it by COVID. But um, uh, Cheap Chick started. Well, I'll start with my first, very first band. I started a band called the Bomboras. And wait, you that, started the Bomboras? How did I not know this? Because I was in it for like six months before the, the before I left. Uh, oh okay wait so so just to explain the bomboras is a really like well-known la sort of surfy punky kind of um go-go band then they used to play in like wrestling masks or day of the dead makeup or maybe that's more now but no that i think is later with another band that one of the members is doing so anyway um, I started the Bomboras, but I started these bands. Um, I came, I moved up to San Francisco. And while I was up in San Francisco, it was when all the um, garage rock surf music thing was happening up there, 1990, 1991. 
the mummies, the phantom surfers, yeah. the trash women, yeah, yeah. all that. So I love the trash women. And I was like, oh man, I wish I could be them. You know, like I thought they were just so, so amazing. Um, so when I moved back down to LA, I'm like, I want to start a surf band. And my neighbor um, and I, who was a guy, started a surf band. So he was a bass player. He learned how to play guitar. And I, he taught me how to play bass. I had a bass, but I you know, never really applied myself yeah. to it. So that, because he was my neighbor, we would get together every night. We'd practice. So I got to be pretty good pretty fast because we were practicing every day. So we started the Bomboras. And then I had these bands with these guys in it. But I was like the visionary of the band. This was my band. I was putting it together and nobody, I'm like, you guys in San Francisco, these bands, they were matching outfits. They look super cool. Everyone wanted to wear their, you know, stupid flannel shirt and flip flops on stage. And I was like, you guys, you don't get it. And so I would have these conflicts with these guys who were not willing to take direction, <laughs> really basically. <laughs> And so finally there was this band, the Finks, and they saw us play and they said, Hey, how about, you know, we know what you're trying to do. We do the matching outfit thing. Why don't we join forces? You can be the bass player, but we're not going to do the Finks. We're going to do, we'll join your band. So I, the other guys were out and I got these guys in and that's when the Bombors started like wearing the matching outfits, looking super cool and all of that started happening. But I had a conflict with one of the members of the band who was, who is, probably un, undiagnosed mental illness. And so I had started in the meantime, started the Neptunas. And so with the Neptunas, I had put out an ad for an all girl band. Cause ultimately that's what I really wanted was to yeah. be like the trash women. So this, you know, having a boy band and boy and girl band was like a way station to what I really wanted, which was an all girl band. Exactly. So, um, in, um, so I put out, we had these, you know, we, back then you would send out postcards about your announcing your shows. Yeah. There was no internet, right? So I sent out a postcard to the mailing list saying, I'm looking for girls to be in a surf band. Um, you don't have to know how to play your instrument, but a bikini and wig collection are a must. So, <laughs> I, so Toast, this, uh, my friend Toast, who was, yeah. I didn't know back then, but she came, she was in the paper tulips. She was a bass player. She's like, I want to play drums. I want to learn how to play drums. So I want to, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to learn a new instrument. You're, it's like a band where you're doing punk rock. It, you know what I mean? You're just beginning. It doesn't yeah. matter. So she learned drums. And then she brought in Leslie who played guitar. And we had another girl play guitar, Catherine, who then she went off, like she played like three shows with us and then she went off. So then we were just the trio of toast, me and Leslie. So um, then this was in late 93, early 94. And so then when that started rolling, I said to the Bomboras who I was dealing with the, you know, the difficult person in the Bomboras, I asked the other guys, I'm like, do you want to kick the difficult person out. And they're like, no, we're going to stay with them. Well, eventually they had their own issues with him, but I said, okay, well, um, I'm going to then just quit and, um, I'll just do the Neptuna. So then I, I quit the Bomboras and then they went on, got another guy and then they went on their way. So, um, then the Neptuna started doing all kinds of shows and doing all kinds of stuff. And we made two albums with sympathy for the record industry back then. And then um, I had a, had two kids and that everything came to grinding halt. Once you have kids, it's like hard. You can't even take a shower. How are you going to be in a yeah. band, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so then everything just sort of went on like 
hiatus. And then what happened was, you know, we would have a show once in a while, like we do a little party for somebody or we do a reunion show, but we weren't really playing. And um, Kim Deal, well, Kim Deal liked us and knew about us. And the breeders reached out to us and said, hey, do you want to go on tour opening for the breeders? Are your, is your band still playing? I'm like, of course we're still playing. We hadn't played in 10, yeah, yeah. 10 years, you know? <laughs> so, so I go, yeah, of course we're still playing. So then I called up everybody and I'm like, uh, Laura, um, who was our second drummer, she was available. Leslie was available. So we said, yeah, we were playing. We can do it. So we had six weeks to relearn all our stuff and then get outfits. And, and then we went on tour with the Breeders, which was amazing. Like year so was this? This was in 2014. So not awesome. that long ago. Yeah, that so, was pretty close. And it was so sweet. Like Kim Deal said, you know, I love you guys. You, your music makes me so happy. And I, I, I'm the reason that you are on this tour because I wanted you to come on this tour, which was so lovely. And I think also the fact that we, they knew we were goody, goody two shoes girls that we weren't going to bring a bunch of drugs with us you know? yeah. <laughs> probably helped too, you know, but anyway, so we went on tour with them. That was great. And then once we got done with the tour, we we're like, well, what do we want to do now? we got all these songs, we might as well start playing again. So we started playing, we started writing songs and we wrote a whole album's worth of songs. And so then at that point, um, my, our friend Danny uh, Amos from Los Straight Jackets was in Mexico City. He lives in Mexico City. He used to live in Santa Monica, moved to Mexico City. He's like, you need to, guys need to come down here and play in Mexico. And we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So I'm like, well, why don't we try it? You know, why don't we do it? Let, let's do it. Surf music is huge in Mexico, huge. Low Straight Jackets play for like 300,000 people. Danny Amos wow. is like Jimmy Page there. I mean, he's like huge, right? So we, we, we asked Danny and he got us on this festival and we played this festival down there and we're playing for thousands of people at this festival and everybody's losing their mind and it was amazing. And so then after we did that, that was in 2017. And then we're like, why don't we go back to Mexico and record an album with Danny producing it? So that's what we did. So we went back to Mexico City. We, we recorded an album in Mexico City. We did another show while we were down there. And Danny, um, in his own home studio, you know, we went to another studio to record, but he in his home studio um, mixed it. And um, that became Mermaid A Go-Go, which is the new album that's coming out September 25th. Now let's take a little break to hear Madame Pamita rocking the fuck out. Here's the title track of the Neptuna's brand new album, Mermaid A Go-Go. The Neptunas have a shack down under the sea. Mermaid A Go-Go. If you want to go, they come along with me. Mermaid A Go-Go. So, so good. 
yeah so that's the kind of the very brief story of the neptunas and how we got here though so now we're we were playing you know on a regular basis up until pandemic but um we got this album out and so we got amazing art on the cover stephanie buscema who's an amazing artist she did the art cover art and um yeah and danny produced it and it sounds amazing we're super proud of it so and then right right after this also at the same time your book on candle magic is coming out yeah so I'm still, all of this is happening kind of as my hobby. You know, music isn't a money maker. It's a, it's a money pit, really, <laughs> to be honest. You're putting way more money into your music career than you're making most of the time. But um, uh, that's my hobby. But my work is doing, you know, tarot reading, spirit guide readings and all of that and making candles and candle magic and, and teaching people about witchcraft and magic. So um, I have a new book that's coming out. I have a tarot book that's already out called Madame Pamita's Magical Tarot. That's a book about tarot. And then there's a new book coming out um, on Llewellyn, Llewellyn's publishing it. And it's called The Book of Candle Magic. And that's coming out October, first week of October. That, I think October 7th or 10th or 12th or something like that. Um, and that's a book all about candle magic. And it is, an, it is the book that I wanted to be out there about candle magic that doesn't exist. So every candle magic book that's out there is like, take a green candle, light it on a Friday um, when the moon is waxing and say this incantation and this will bring you money. But they don't tell you why. So all it is is a recipe book, but it's not explaining why are you burning a green candle for money? Why are you lighting it on a Friday? Why are you lighting it during the waxing moon? Why are you saying these words? So my book breaks down candle magic. It's, it's literally everything that I know about candle magic broken down in a way so that it's like you can create your own spell. So it explains to you what days of the week are good for what kind of spells, what colors are good for what kind of spells, what herbs, what oils, what this, what that, how do you bring in numbers into magic and so on so that you can read this book. There's some recipes in it and examples in it. It's not like it just that, but it tells you, okay, if you want to do a spell, these are the things that can support your spell. These are the, how you work with these kinds of candles. This is what you can do. So it's, it's a book that doesn't exist out there that tells yeah. you how to do it so that you can then study this or learn it or look it up. It could be your reference book. And you go, gosh, I want to do a spell for love. What color candle should I pick? What is my situation? What would be a good candle for that? And so you can create your own recipes. You can create your own spells because it tells you how to create your own spells. You've seen that. You know what it's about. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's all, the, that's all the, the, the great stuff about your book. I was blown away when I was reading it. Um, you guys like that are listening, Madame Pamita is the shit <laughs> like in, in all things magical. Um, so yeah, that, that book blew me away. I just think it's so exciting that at the same time as Mermaid of Go-Go is coming out, that your, your book of candle magic is coming out too. That's exactly, that's, that's how I roll too. Like when I, the first time I ever went overseas to teach dance, also I had a song that entered the, um, I was the first um, festival I was teaching in was in England. And that week, a song that my voice was just supposed to be sampled on, but then they switched it to be the lead vocal. This was um, with a, an electronic duo called Peace Division. That went to number, that went above Madonna in the British charts on the week that I arrived there for a belly dancing festival. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which is so funny because I feel like, you know, what's so funny is like in pandemic, the first few months of pandemic, I felt like I wasn't 
doing anything. And then after the eclipse, I felt like, oh, everything's opened up again. I'm back to like charging through and getting getting shit done and making it. Yeah, happen. how did it get to be so busy? Like suddenly it's like, it's, I always say it's like on a non-pandemic level of like. Yeah, there was like a couple months there of just a lull of nothing and now it's all cooking again. So anyway, so yeah, so books coming out. I'm working on another book about Slavic magic right now. That's what we started talking about with souls and Mofarkas. And um, so working on that right now, super into that, studying shamanism, doing all kinds of stuff. So I'm do all kinds of things are happening and the album's coming out. I'm very excited about it. We just had a, um, well, by the, when this comes out, the album will be out, the singles and everything is going to be streaming. Of course, the singles will be out, the album will be out and streaming, but we'll have a CD out coming out um, September 25th. And we're going to have vinyl coming out um, with some extras and some cool things and a great artifact that's going to be coming out early 2021. So yeah, colored swirly vinyl, you know, that whole thing. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Like a bowling ball looking vinyl. I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we're very excited about that. So we're going to have vinyl coming out. We've got CD out for people that still like to have a hard copy of stuff. And um, the, of course it's streaming everywhere, the usual places. Yeah. Tell, tell people where they can, um, where they can sign up for your spell squad right now, but we'll have all the links on the, um, you know, in the description of this episode too. Yeah. So, um, uh, my, my website where they can find me as the magical person is Parlor of Wonders and it's Parlor spelled in British way, P-A-R-L-O-U-R of wonders.com. That's my shop and that's where you'll find me and book readings and buy candles and buy spell kits and all that kind of good stuff. Also, there's tons of free instruction over there. That's the thing I always forget to tell people is that if you want to learn about magic, I have videos, blogs, um, all kinds of stuff to teach you about magic. And starting to do some classes again. So that's all happening over there. Um, if they want to um, join the mail list to find out about the things that are coming up, including I do a live Q free Q&A every Sunday, they can go to spellsquad.com and that gets them into the clubhouse for that. And then you get my email, get on my email list and you'll find out about what's going on in my world and all the things that I'm offering, classes and things like that. Then for the Neptunas, if you go to neptunas.com, you can sign up for the Neptunus mail list and find out about all the things that we're doing updates, not shows right now, but releases and things like that. So yeah, that's where they can go. Yay. It's been so good to talk to you. I know that we could probably go on and on for like a few more hours. I know we can. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Hutzel some more. <laughs> I know. Okay, yeah, we have to. We have to. We're we'll, we're gonna make a Slavic, a Slavic magic date. Yes, I know. Let's travel. Oh my gosh, let's go when we can travel again. I totally want to go back there. That's my next oh, plan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that my other thing that I want to do besides that, the other traveling thing that you might want to consider is the um, Camino um, de Santiago. It's Camino Santiago de Compostelo in Spain. Do you know about that? Oh, yeah, 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 The Camino. I want to do a Camino. Oh, my so. God. I mean, well, if, if we're in Spain, we might as well just go to Morocco and look for all that trancy shit. <laughs> <laughs> we should try. I'm serious. We should have a world tour. This could Let's be scary. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Too well, bad we just can't take our brooms over there right now. I know. I know. 
Teleportation. When are they going to invent that? Damn it! I keep, I'm trying. I'm trying that. I'm trying. I'm trying all of that. But I think. I think my surgical masks impedes astral projection. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I love you so much, Pleasant. You are wild. You are like. There's some. Well, I can. Can I just say one thing before we wrap it up about yes. Pleasant? Because I want to tell you a perspective from an outside perspective about Pleasant. When I was growing up and listening to punk rock and you know going to shows and things like that, Pleasant was a huge celebrity in the punk rock scene. You were like a huge celebrity. And I always like admired you and thought, you know, you were writing for LA Weekly and you were, um, you know, you were kind of a one woman you were, you know, doing the screaming sirens, you were writing for the LA Weekend, you were doing all these amazing things. And I always thought of you as really, really very, very cool. And I always thought, well, she won't like me because I'm not cool enough. You know, that's my, the, the <laughs> ego going, <laughs> like, I'm not cool enough. And then when we met, how genuinely so kind, so sweet, so welcoming, like, come, let's play. You were just the most open person. And my fear that you might be too cool or think I'm not cool enough or whatever was like in seconds blown away about how you, you have all that cool, but you're so inviting and friendly and lovely. And you want everyone to be in on the party. You are, I don't even know how to describe, you are like, you know, those, those, people like um, Dorothy Parker in the 1920s, you know, oh like my God. somebody that's like this iconic, talented, multi-talented person. You're a dancer, musician, writer, ringleader, <laughs> leader of a girl gang <laughs> of witches, you're a witch. I mean, you're so, so, so multi-talented that it would be so easy for you to go into that space of being like someone like Madonna, who's, you know, kind of not a very nice person, right? You know, I, I would get the impression. But you have all these talents. And then on to top everything off, you are so welcoming, friendly, inviting. You're making me cry. For but real. But it's the truth. Like, I, I looked at you like, she's so, so cool. She's so cool. And never had the expectation, you know, usually a person like that can be kind of cunty, right? <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like oh you know oh, I don't have time for you. I mean, that, that could happen <laughs> <laughs> well it didn't happen for me my experience but you know you you were a person who then was on top of all of those that talent and all of that stature in the community of music and cool people in LA you're the coolest of the cool people in LA and you're nice on top of everything else friendly on top of everything else it's that's very 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 um you're a unicorn <laughs> you know okay don't make me say it I'm gonna, uh thank you so much i but i just have to tell you that okay i'm sorry you guys that are listening i'm not sorry not sorry no we, <laughs> we're acting and we're acting out a divine love um love affair on your podcast time, but who cares? You didn't pay for this. No, I'm just <laughs> you get me making a lot of money cam girling with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
right before you started telling me that I was going to tell you I love you so much. That's all I'm going to say. And now I'm really going to go and cry. <laughs> but it's, it is true, people. When you meet Pleasant, if you just are somebody that's listening or following her in real life, when you meet her in real life, I mean, she's so, so, so talented, but oh, just... Uh, this is how this is the sign of a spiritual guru is that you're <laughs> humble you're talented and you're humble and you're kind and you're loving doesn't mean you can't be a bitch when you need to be a bitch of course you can do that but when when it comes to like the heart to heart your heart is very open you're very loving you're very accepting it, it is that is a magical thing that is what makes you a, a, a guru so you're a guru <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you too are a guru. <laughs> All right. Mwah. 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 I love you I love so you. much. I love you so much. What do the fortune teller? That was the wonderful force of nature that is Madame Pamita. If you're witchy, you need to check out her new book, The Book of Candle Magic. It's available everywhere books are sold, and it's great. If you're rock and rolly, check out the brand new Neptuna's album, Mermaid A Go Go. See you next time, sinners. Mwah. Baby, I feel good from the moment I rise. Feel good from morning till the end of the day. Till the end of the day. Yeah, you and me, we live this life from when. The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 